Hello, and welcome to Assured by Grace. My name is Danny Woodward, be your host today, and I'm joined by Pastor Phil Congdon. And today, before we get started, I would just like to encourage anybody who might be listening and who's enjoying some of these podcasts or who maybe has some some uh, ideas that they want to flip by us for future podcasts to reach out to us. You can either reach out to us directly in the comments section on the platform that you're viewing this on, or you can reach out to us uh, through our website, uh, nbbc at newbronfelsbible.org. That's nbbc at newbronfelsbible.org. We'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And and we we're always interested in in talking can, with people. Can can they can they like us and can they ring the bell? <laughs> can they can ring the bell as much as they want and and, and we we appreciate all the likes we get. But uh, really, this this podcast is to encourage people to be assured by grace. And because of that, uh, Phil and I have been talking the last couple podcast episodes about mm-hmm. a a doctrine a theology that's out there uh, that that we believe undermines biblical assurance and in some ways. And so right now we're right smack dab in the middle of that discussion. And we're on the, if you haven't joined us before, we're on the T uh, or the L of Tulip. So we've done the T total depravity. We've done the U unconditional election. And today we're on limited atonement. If that sounds weird to you, you haven't heard of that before. uh, Hang in there. I think you're going to enjoy what, uh, what we have to say and, and how it fits in to um, uh, better understanding the Bible in, in a, in a biblical context, how we can, we can see through some of these, these doctrines and perhaps help clarify uh, the meaning of the gospel message in scripture. Now, uh, Phil limited atonement. Can you kind of take us through what that means? Where, where folks are coming from when they say that and, uh, yeah. and, and how the Bible relates to that. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, just for people listening, like we're going to ease into this. Okay, uh, the the question that we're we're dealing with today, and this is a question that oh, theologians and pastors and church leaders uh, have been arguing and fighting about for centuries. Okay, but uh, say well, if if God is a sovereign God, um, how does uh, how does he go about saving us and how do we get saved? Uh, and how, do, how, what is it that enables a person to gain eternal life and how can we know that we are saved? And uh, those are, those are kinds of issues that people struggle with because God is higher than our ways says in scripture, Isaiah 55, uh, nine, I think it is where says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And we know that he's from eternity and he's all powerful and all knowing. So how, do, how does God um, reveal himself? And th- does he just let everybody uh, come to him and believe? Or, or in the, today's discussion, has he limited the number? of people that can be saved. Now, this whole discussion of what is called Calvinism, uh, and it's abbreviated through five truths, five statements, and and the tulip, the flower, is, is a, an acronym for that. So the T is 
total depravity. And we looked at that two weeks ago. And according to Calvinists, total depravity means total inability. That is, you and I um, uh, and no human being is even able to believe in Jesus. We, we just can't. We're all so bad, totally depraved, we can't even believe. How then are we ever saved? Well, they would say that God actually elects us, and he regenerates us, and then we believe. So it makes sense, as you're going to see, this is a logical system. Because we can't even believe, because it's a total inability for us to believe, God has to do something to any person who's going to believe. So now you have the second, the U of TULIP is unconditional election. Now, election sounds like we're voting for somebody for president. But what this means is choice, that God unconditionally chose some people to go to heaven forever, and the rest of them are going to hell forever. And according to Calvinism, it's unconditional. That is that it isn't because God looked down in his foreknowledge and saw that we would respond to the gospel and believe. No, they say that that would be beneath God, that that would give us the control, and God must be in sovereign control. Therefore, God, in a sense, uh, covered his eyes and reached into the pool of humanity and picked out some to be saved. And that's all that's going to be saved. And that's how we got from total depravity or total inability to unconditional election or choice. And now today, why, it makes logical sense. If those two were true, then there's a limited atonement. Now, atonement is the, that means that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was applicable to me. How did, uh, did it become applicable to me? Well, God uh, regenerated me. He had unconditionally chosen me. And now I am going to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So well, I'm going to heaven. Well, one quick question, just, just for you to clarify. When you say God regenerated me, what are they saying? It, okay. What is he doing to you? Okay. Regenerate means to make alive. Yeah. So what they would say is that uh, when it says in, in Ephesians uh, 3, for example, it says we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. They would say, well, that means that we were spiritually uh, dead in the water. Mm -hmm. So he had to get out the paddles, uh, sort of, so to speak, Spiritual and paddles. zap us. And now we came to life and now we believe. But whoever he didn't zap with those spiritual paddles, we just go to hell. I, I appreciate um, that because, you know, regeneration is something that 
all Christians use. It's a word that's in scripture. That's exactly right. But sometimes it gets used in different ways. It sure does. And so the the understanding here that they're saying is that we are dead, which means we can't even believe. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that that isn't what Ephesians 3 means is very clear because it says we were dead in our trespasses and sin in which we formerly walked. Now, unless you're a zombie, and, you know, zombies, I guess, are dead people that are up walking around, then obviously we understand that Ephesians 3 is talking figuratively. Mm -hmm. And it's saying that we don't have any spiritual life in us. But that doesn't mean that we can't do evil things, nor does it mean that we can't believe, because those are things that are offered to us when we are unsaved. So we have responded to total inability, and we have said that is not taught in Scripture. All through Scripture, what we see is an offer being made. Whosoever will may come. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. This is an appeal that Jesus made even to the false teachers, who he would say to them, whoever believes in me, has eternal life. So he wasn't he wasn't uh, saying whoever I have chosen in eternity past, you have life. He's saying whoever believes in me, and he's offering this to all. The unconditional choice part of this, where it says that he just chose some. Again, this is not what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. Scripture instead says there is a condition. It is believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So it wasn't that God closed his eyes and grabbed some people to be saved. Rather, it's that he invites all. At the end of Revelation, it says, uh, the spirit and the bride say, come, let him who is thirsty come, let him take of the water of life freely. This is an offer made to all. But now we're going to respond to this. And because this is logical, that's why we're responding to it. There are many people theologically who say, well, I believe that God, uh, can we cannot be saved unless God zaps us to life first. And therefore, it's only those that he chooses to zap to life that are going to be saved. Is this what the Bible says? Let's start with something just a little bit before that. Because this isn't taught anywhere in the Bible, and even Calvinists will generally admit this, they will say that this is a logical uh, truth. It isn't one that's taught in the Bible. There are many Calvinists who are very uncomfortable with limited atonement or sometimes definite atonement or particular redemption. But what these words all mean is that there was only a limited number that Jesus actually died to save. And they they just know that this is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, 1 John 2.2, he is the payment for our sins. 
and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That clearly is making a distinction between Christians and non-Christians, and yet it's saying that he paid for the sins of all of them. Or John 3.16, the best-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So again, the, the idea from Scripture is that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And that, you know, everywhere where we, where we see this, you're going to see that yeah. everywhere in Scripture. So now you have this issue that there are some Calvinists who will say, well, no, Jesus did die for all the sins of the world, but it's only effective for those that he chose. But again, this still is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that he offers this to all, mm -hmm. that he doesn't offer it just to some, nor that it's limited to only those that he will regenerate and thus they'll be saved. We talked about that a little bit on the last podcast. Yeah, um, we did. And one of the things that we discussed was how sometimes folks who would who would aspire to this this I, I guess interpretation of Scripture, uh, looking at it and and seeing that limited atonement is somewhere between the pages, that that they're going to say, "Hey, hold up, Phil." Uh, when when he's saying all, he's not meaning all. He's meaning a subset of people that are just the elect. How do you respond to that? We were talking beforehand and you mentioned Romans chapter five. Yeah. Um, what would you say to, to somebody that is arguing on a general basis for that? Okay. Well, first of all, let's use common English. Mm -hmm. If I say um, I have a message for all my family and somebody says, well, you, you don't mean all of us. You just mean that, it's for all that you intend it for. Okay, well, then what you're doing is you're playing with language. And we can do that. So, for example, there are theologians who say that when it says, for God so loved the world, it doesn't mean everybody in the world. It means only the world of the elect. Or when it says, and he is the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world, that somehow that means he's talking there about the rest of the elect besides those that he was talking to right there. But that isn't normal language use. The normal language use, when we say he loves the world, he died for all, or, or for example, in I think it's 1 Timothy 2, 4, uh, uh, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's, it is uh, in, internally contradictory, oxymoronic, for us to say that he died for uh, only for the elect, but he wants all to be saved. Wait a minute. If he wants all to be saved, then he would die for all. Um, there, there are a lot of things we can look at, but Romans 5, we'll just look at this quickly. Uh, and 
Romans 5 um, has a couple of statements here. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, okay, we have the world, and we have all men, and they're all sinners. And I don't know any Calvinist that's going to argue against that. Right. You know what they're going to say? Absolutely. We're all totally We're depraved. We're all totally depraved. Mm-hmm. Then we read this. This is in verse 18. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted Justification of life to, how many did it extend to? All men. Mm. So if you are going to say that, no, not all men can be saved, only the elect, then you have a contradiction in the same passage, because the all men who are depraved or fallen, that is, that we have the sin disease, so I have cancer of sin. What's the cure? The cure is Jesus and his blood. And that cure is available to how many? To all men. So if you are going to say that all men catch the disease, then you have to also say that all men can get the cure. If you don't say that, there's an internal contradiction. And, you know, even Jesus in, in, in his life, you know, like with John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that? Uh, um, John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine. Absolutely. The this is the verse when when uh, John the Baptist first sees Jesus coming, he's out baptizing people. He says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." You know, th- this is a. It's a a wonderful statement. Is that takes away the sin of the world of the elect? Mm -mm. It's the sin of the world. And everybody would have known, everybody would have understood that this was a comprehensive sacrifice. Up until that time, the sacrifice, you brought your lamb, you brought your goat, you brought your turtle doves, you brought your sacrifices, you had a temporary covering for sin, and you were constantly reminded that you were a sinner and that you needed a savior. And then John the Baptist says, here, this is the Lamb of God who takes away how many sins? Not just yours now, not just somebody else's, takes away the sins of the world. So, yeah, this is the the idea of limited atonement. I realize that there are going to be some people that are listening, and right now they're going to say, well, I'm a Calvinist, but I don't hold to limited atonement. And I want you to know, I was actually taught that theology. Uh, When I was in Bible college, uh, we were taught something, and don't don't let your eyes glaze over here, but it's called Amarildian Calvinism. And this is the idea that the T 
U, I, and P of tulip are right, but the L is wrong. So that we're totally depraved, we're unconditionally elected, we're irresistibly uh, given God's grace, and we persevere uh, as saints. But it's not limited. And it wasn't um, until later that I realized, uh, as nice as Amarildian Calvinism is, it's trying to be biblical. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense at all. Because if we are totally depraved and cannot even believe, we have no ability to even believe, we have to be regenerated by God and uh, that is unconditional. He just chooses some to save. Then that number is limited. Therefore, we deny the limited atonement teaching of Calvinism. And that's the hard part: is that Calvinism is coherent. the The teaching throughout. The, the the five truths that we're talking about here that they proclaim, mm-hmm. it, it's a coherent way of looking at Scripture. Mm-hmm. Problem is, is that it's not based in Scripture. Yeah. Uh, so so it becomes kind of self-defeating. Well, here's here's where we, we want to turn a corner just a little bit. Let's just yeah. talk about why why does this even matter? You might be saying to yourself, well, Phil, I would never have believed that that you know Jesus only died for some people and not for others. Uh, why that that sounds positively hateful and and ludicrous, and it's not in Scripture anywhere. And I would say, yeah, you're right. Of course, there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world, and and many many Christian leaders in this country who hold to this doctrine in some way, shape, or form. And that is that is a potential danger. And let's just talk about one of the most obvious ways that it's a danger. And that is that if if you hear this and, and you begin to think that God is the kind of being who would create millions and millions of human beings knowing that he has already decided that they will suffer eternal judgment in hell and there is nothing they can do, that he is not even offering them the free gift of salvation for their sin. So he has locked them in, and that's it. What does that tell you about God? What does that say about the character of God? That is not the God that you find on the pages of Scripture. I could walk with you from Genesis 1 right through Revelation 22. And every page as you go, you will find a God who cares for humanity, who desires that they would be saved. And even in their lives, even if they reject him, he still does not want them to uh, suffer the effects of sin. That he would love to be able to 
change them, to restore them, uh, to get them to repent of sin, that Satan, on the other hand, is the one who is seeking to destroy and devour every person. And so what we have is we have a God who wants to save, who isn't willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And you see this all through Scripture. And yet, if this doctrine were true, then God is an arbitrary and capricious God. He might as well be sitting off in space somewhere playing on his cell phone and just saying, I don't care what happens to them because I've already decided who I'm going to take. And that's that. That's not the God we see in Scripture. No, no. And it and, and I tell you, it it uh, it makes us a liar if, if that was true. And if 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 God is this capricious God and and he does hate those people that are yeah. that are damned, then when I go to people who are are just being confronted with the gospel message and I tell them, God loves you. God loves you so much that he did this for you. You know, they may believe me, they may not. I can tell them that and know that it's true because he does love them. Yeah. Because he does love each and every one of us. For God so loved the world. Right. But if but if he didn't, then I'm lying yeah. to those people. So it, it creates a schism. I think that there's another thing about this, too, and that has to do with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's related to the, the, the message of saying God loves you. but for centuries, even though this Calvinistic theology was present in the world, uh, there would have been virtually virtually no one in the Christian church, even when I was growing up, mm-hmm. that would have ever wanted to tell you that, no, God has only chosen a few that he's going to save, and that's that. They wouldn't. In fact, I remember growing up, uh, I went to Billy Graham Crusades, and Billy Graham Crusades drew tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And before the Billy Graham Crusade would come to a town, they would have their representatives come, and they would meet with pastors. And there would be dozens and dozens of pastors and church leaders, my father-in-law in Sydney, Australia was a counselor for a Billy Graham crusade that was held there in the 1960s. And nobody ever asked, are you a Methodist? Are you a Presbyterian? Are you a Baptist? Are you a Lutheran? They didn't ask those questions. They just said, this is the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Teach them the gospel message, pray with them as they receive Jesus as their Savior. And it's only in the last few years where it seems that we've gotten colder and harder, and now we're starting to to make statements about God and about the gospel that are really untrue. Like like what, Bill? Well, you know, like saying that God has only chosen some to be saved and so if you're not elect, you can't be saved. 
So we have ministers that are that are actually offering this as part of this. Yes. They're they're called to uh, to action there at the end of their sermons. Or I think that uh, yeah, and they might say it sometimes subtly. Uh, I know, for example, one pastor who would get to the end of his sermon and you would say something to this effect. He would say, if God grants you the ability to believe, then I pray that you will believe today. Now you would be sitting in the pew and be thinking, well, I I don't know. Has he given me that ability? Am I just imagining the fact that I want to believe? Or? And as we are going to go through the last two parts of Tulip, we're going to see that this weakness, this undermining of the free offer of eternal life is something that is uh, a common theme. And in the end, um, it strikes at the heart of what we're talking about in, in our podcast. We have intentionally called this assured by grace, because if somebody isn't assured of their salvation, then they're going to be easy prey for Satan, because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, it says in Revelation. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's always going to be trying to get us to think that we're not good enough to be saved, that something we've done or something we haven't done means that God doesn't really love us, and that because we don't behave ourselves or go to church or put enough in the plate or whatever it is that we're probably going to hell. And that is all that Satan needs. It's kind of like him getting his foot in the door. And once he gets it in the door, then he can start to like a wedge to separate us from God and from his love. What does scripture say? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor life, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor any other thing. Romans 8, 28, 38, and 39. Sorry. That is, that is a promise. Nothing can separate you. If you have believed in Jesus, that means you have said in your heart, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven, but Jesus paid the full price for my sin. I believe in Jesus as my Savior. I receive the free gift now. At that point, you have received the eternal gift of life, and you can rest assured that it is yours. Now, you're free. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. You're free. You know what that means? You're free not to be worrying all the time about whether or not you're good enough. Because guess what? You're not. Neither am I. But Jesus is. And you believed in Jesus. His righteousness became yours. He who knew no sin became sin for you. That you might become the righteousness of God in him. You are right with God because of that. You can rest assured because of his grace. So that's really kind of what we're talking about here. There are other implications of this, Mm -hmm. but... But limited atonement, this is not a doctrine taught in the Bible. It is a logical teaching that many theologians hold to, but it is not in Scripture. Instead, hold to the free gift of God. He gave it 
for you. It's for all the world. And believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Fantastic. Thank you, Phil.